Friends, over the last number of weeks, almost two months now, we have been focusing on building our lives in Christ. It's basically Christian growth we're talking about. We're looking each week at the process of maturing as believers. As we've talked in the past, I think it was the second or third Sunday in this series, we talked about owning God as our Lord. Jesus, the most common name his followers called him, was Master, Kurios, Lord and Master. And we asked the question, is he my Lord or am I on the throne of my life? Do I call the shots or is he the Lord? And we looked at building up our life in Christ, built upon the foundation of Jesus alone, for salvation is found in no other name but Jesus. Of course, this all comes from 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul, writing to a troublesome group of believers in Corinth, reminded them, by the grace that God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building on it, but each one should be careful how he builds, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Be careful how you build. The Greek word means be mindful, be attentive, don't be asleep at the switch. And if I'm honest, that's how my life has mostly been. I haven't been mindful or attentive. It has just happened to me. I haven't lived in that moment understanding that in Christ, God wants us to be attentive to what we add to our lives, what we grow in. And be mindful of how God, by His Word and through His Spirit, grows us to be more like Jesus. But that's what we're seeking to do throughout these weeks. Last week we looked at some of the basics. Last few weeks we looked at the Bible, the importance of God's Word in your life. What a building block. God's truth revealed to you. His love letter to you. How appropriate that we talked about the Bible on Valentine's Day. Last week, for instance, we talked about the important place of prayer, our lifeline, our communication, the power line to the throne of God for each believer is God's gift of prayer for us. Well, today you think we'd keep that positive streak going, those things that are great gifts, much appreciated by God's children. But today is where the rubber meets the road. The difficulties that you face in your life as a believer. Young, in the midst of life, or in your senior years. We all face difficulties. I've called, in fact, today's message, Facing Adversity. I've asked for the folks at home uh, that uh, the the technical people enlarge this picture so you don't see me down below. Show them this picture. I love this picture. I wish I could find a better, higher resolution copy of it. This is a picture of the Apostle Paul and Timothy on mission. I can just imagine they're somewhere in Asia Minor or Greece and they're traveling as they most often traveled, not by ship, not on horseback or chariot, travel by foot most often, walking those Roman roads between the cities, putting on hundreds, thousands of miles during their ministry. And I like this picture because 
They're leaning into the wind. It seems to me as I look at this that the prevailing wind is against them. Especially, especially Timothy looks frozen. I say, boy, put a coat on over that toga. He is cold. He is tired. He's so far from home. He's leaning into the wind. They're facing a stiff headwind. And that reminds me of your life and my life. Because we have in this world opposition. Remember a few weeks back we talked about part of the Christian walk is understanding that there is a spiritual war going on. Spiritual warfare. And we talked about those great enemies of our souls. We talked about Satan, fallen angels, evil in high places. We talked about your flesh. A traitor in the camp. Your old nature conspiring against you. And how we desire to walk in the light and live by the Spirit rather than the flesh. But the third of those, remember, was the world. And I said, that's fallen society. Mankind apart from God. And that is the wind of culture. And that prevailing wind, friend, if you're a child of God, it is dead set against you. It's against you. If you just stand up for truth and speak the truth in love, you will be counter-culture because the culture is set against you and you face adversity. The Apostle Paul faced adversity in his life. I often think as I look at this picture that, oh, that was a great man of God. How I would like to walk a mile in his sandals. But then I read in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, as you look at that picture, hear how Paul described some of the adversity he faced in his life, comparing himself to the false teachers that had troubled the believers in Corinth. Paul said, do they say that they're servants of Jesus? He says, I've worked much harder. I've been in prison more frequently been flogged more severely and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Beside everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Adversity. Paul and the followers of Jesus and those who put pen to paper and wrote Scripture as led by the Holy Spirit, they knew what they were talking about. And so in this time of pandemic, as you face adversity on the outside and within, there are those who are sick, those who have lost loved ones, those who face besetting sin and the struggle within, all of us know adversity. And we need the encouragement that we have today in God's Word, facing adversity. The first thing I want to remind you is that Jesus, He warned us of this. This should surprise none of us. Jesus in the upper room. 
had the 12, and then Judas left, he had the 11, those who were closest to him, who had seen him and the pressure he was under and the danger he was in and the opposition that he had faced throughout his ministry. And so he encourages them on this account. In the Upper Room Discourse, we read in John chapter 15, beginning in verse 18, Jesus reminded them, if the world hates you, there's the world apart from God. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own, as it is. You do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Well, that's strong words. Not that you're going to ruffle a few feathers, or they may tease you at school, or you may not be the most popular guy at work. No, Jesus says the world, the fallen humanity, the system of which Satan is the prince and power of the air, they will hate you. You don't belong to them any longer. God has set you free. And you're a threat to that system because you come with the words of life. You're an ambassador of heaven. Your citizenship is in heaven. And you offer others the good news. Jesus later in the Upper Room Discourse in John chapter 16 verse 33 reminded them, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. We could stop right there. That's the good news. You can have peace in Christ even in the face of, of adversity. Even despite the worst of circumstances, ill health, loss of loved ones, loss of job, loss of direction, loneliness, despair, anything the world throws at us, we can live above those circumstances because Jesus is with us and he lives within us. Well, adversity, rather than running from it, as we naturally do, we want to avoid it at all costs. We pray to get out of it. We kind of duck it. We want to just have nothing to do with opposition, adversity, and hardship, and trials, and testing in our lives. And yet, it's so important for the followers of Jesus. I want to talk briefly about the purposes of adversity for you as a believer today. The purposes of adversity. And the first, I love that picture. Oh, how as parents we are there. One of the hardest jobs as a parent is disciplining children. And you do it in love. And you do it for their good. And you do it for their correction. You lovingly correct them and get them back on course. With one hand, you encourage them onto the right path. On the other hand, you give them a little more forceful correction, there's discipline needs to take place. And if there's no discipline in a family, you know those children are not cared for. They're not loved. Because a loving parent corrects and disciplines the children they love for the children's good, not for the parent, for the child's good. And the Bible tells us, friends, that adversity in your lives, those things you face, when hardships come to you, examine your heart. 
Ask yourself, is this coming into my life to refocus me away from perhaps a sin that I'm involved with, to get me back to God, to get me on my knees away from what I'm doing, or just to take it in the manner that God intends it to be. I am a child of God. I am loved by Him. Because He loves me, He allows these even hard things to come into my life. Let's look at that key passage in this area. It's found in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 7. Writing to Christians, writing to you, the author of Hebrews tells you, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you're not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good that we may share in His holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. We have all gone through this. If you have walked with Christ any length of time, you have gone through trials that brought you back to God. I know some of the worst things in my life have been consequences of my own wrong actions. God forgives us, but He does not spare us from the consequences of our actions. And oftentimes, there's an old saying, and it's true, that sin has its punishment built into it. Think about that. But we understand it's all from the hands of a loving God. And we can come through those hard times, even those that we bring on ourselves, and we can come out stronger and more like Jesus on the other side. If, as Scripture says, we learn from it and open ourselves to it. Oh, you know, Pastor Allen, he loves quoting people smarter than him. Regarding discipline and the place in its life, there was a, an amazing man. His name was Arthur Pink, A.W. Pink. He died in 1954 on a remote island off the coast of Scotland. He lived there with his wife and nobody else because he couldn't get along with people. In his earlier days, he had tried again and again to become a pastor. He had traveled from England to United States, back to England, back to the U.S., and finally wound up in Scotland. One church after another rejected him because he was a, well, he was a strong, hardback Calvinist. And he, his Calvinistic tendencies, there was no grace in them, it seemed. And he, he just was too hard on people. And so he sat down and he just began to write about Scripture. He began to write lessons on Scripture. And he wrote them for years. And after his death, they became so popular. Hundreds of thousands of books based on A.W. Pink's writings have been, have been published now. Couldn't be a pastor, but he knew his Bible. And regarding God's discipline, A.W. Pink said, for a Christian to defy adversities, 
<laughs> That's what we want to do. Reject adversities. For a Christian to defy adversities is to despise chastisement. That's God's correction. Instead of hardening himself to endure stoically, there should be a melting of the heart. Our hearts should melt under the hand of God's discipline on our lives. Not reject it, not avoid it, not deny it, not stoically endure it, but to let it work on our hearts and bring us back to Jesus. He loves us so. He loves us so. Well, another purpose for adversity in our lives, and and it's funny, I, I talked about Warren Wearsby alliterating and starting everything with the same letter. And I found myself accidentally doing it this week. Old habits die hard. When you look at the purposes of adversity, think of 3D, not funny glasses you wear in a movie theater, but 3D as discipline. And the second D is deepening. God can deepen your faith and your experience of Him in times of hardship and adversity like no other time. How many times we have seen this happen? And you find sometimes the deepest, most profound people of faith have experienced untold hardship in their lives. That's not an accident. They're connected. That's the deepening that takes place. James chapter 1 I always, it, it almost puts a smile on my face how it's translated, especially in the New International Version. Beginning in verse 2 of James chapter 1, writing to the church of, of Jewish believers scattered throughout the nations, Jesus' brother James writes, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. We are told in that passage very clearly that hardships, adversity, trials of many kinds, it grows us. It matures us. And our maturity always is to be like Jesus. A very similar passage that's very familiar to us is found in Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 28, where we're told that God works all things together for the good of those who love Him. You read down a couple verses and you find that good He's aiming for to be conformed to the image of Jesus. To be like Jesus. Well, here James who suffered much in his life. In fact, as most of those, probably all but one, gathered around the table with Jesus in the upper room, died violent deaths for their faith in Christ. James himself, James the just, they called him. He was highly respected, but that didn't save him from persecution. And finally, he was thrown to his death from the Temple Mount. He survived that fall, battered and broken in body. And they finished him off with what they called a fuller's club. It was a heavy club. The ladies would beat the clothes in the stream on the stones to do their laundry. And they bashed out his brains. This man knew adversity. And he tells us to consider it pure joy. We see, yeah, I may understand with my mind that adversity 
can do some good in my life, but that's too much. Asking me to consider it pure joy when I come out whistling out of the doctor's office, happy, whistling a happy tune. Is that what you mean when the doctor has said, I've got cancer? Or how do I have joy at the graveside of a loved one? How do we do that? I don't think that's what that actually means. I think it's a hard thing to translate. And I went looking, as I often do, I, how is that Greek word translated into English? Because those of you who speak more than one language know the difficulty in translating. We still know God will apply this correctly to our hearts. But I do this rarely. I have another translation, and this is from J.B. Phillips' translation. Look what the same verses read in Phillips. When all kinds of trials and temptations crowd into your lives, my brothers, don't resent them as intruders, but welcome them as friends. Realize they come to test your faith and to produce in you the quality of endurance. But let the process go on until that endurance is fully developed and you will find you have become men of mature character. I like that. Welcome them as friends. Oh, my old friend, suffering, you've come to visit. And instead of rejecting it and avoiding it and running from it, ask God to lead you through it. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That's maturity, friends. And that's what God wants to do in us. He wants to deepen our experience of Him. He wants to deepen your faith even through adversity. Charles Stanley, longtime pastor, retired pastor of one of the largest churches in the States. You can listen to him on the radio, especially I enjoy the radio, hearing In Touch Ministries. Of adversity... Charles Stanley didn't just say this is a tool in God's hands. I have a quote from Charles Stanley. He says, adversity is not simply a tool. It is God's most effective tool for the advancement of our spiritual lives. The circumstances and events that we see as setbacks are oftentimes the very things that launch us into periods of intense spiritual growth. Once we begin to understand this and accept it as a spiritual fact of life, adversity becomes easier to bear. We see God's loving hand in those adverse times. That can be the discipline of a loving father getting us on the course that he wants us to be on. Or we can see it's a challenge to our lackadaisical attitudes, forcing us to go deeper in our experience of Him, going back to our Bibles, going to our knees in prayer, God uses adversity for this. Don't run from it. Don't reject it. <laughs> Discipline and deepening. And the third D is dependence. Depending on Him. Oh, there are times, friends, when you are going through hardships, it's beyond you. More than you can bear. And remember, we have the promise in Scripture that God will not test you beyond what you are able to endure. But it sure feels like it. It sure feels like it. But what God can be doing 
is fostering a quality in your relationship with Him. A quality that the world sees as weakness. The world celebrates independence, self-reliance. And there's many ways where that is good. That's part of being a mature individual, not always looking to others to do for you. But in spiritual matters, there are no lone rangers. We are dependent on Jesus. He is the life-giving vine. We are the branches. And unless we are dependent, receiving our daily sustenance and spiritual life from Him, we dry up. We dry up and we're good as dead. Many of us, if we're honest in our life, we're not living a life of daily dependence on the Lord. We are not going to His Word for our marching orders in the morning and and leaning on Him throughout the day in a continuous, off-the-hook attitude of prayer. We're doing it our own way. And sometimes because of that, adversity can be a powerful tool in God's hands to bring us back to dependence upon Him. The Apostle Paul, a little later, in, as I read earlier in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, where he was enumerating the adversities that had come into his life, later in the chapter he shares something very personal. He had a physical affliction. He had an illness, a disease. And it seems perhaps his thorn in the flesh, as we look at the hints in Scripture, probably had to do with his eyes. It seems he was likely legally blind at this point in his ministry. And he prayed that God would heal him from that, as we so often do when our adversity takes the form of a physical affliction. But God had something better in mind for that. Rather than healing and moving on, God says, no, you need to be weak, Paul. You need to depend on me. I'll begin reading in verse 7. Paul had received an incredible vision caught up to heaven. In verse 7 he says, To keep me from becoming conceited, because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, and in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I love the picture of that little child's hands in the hand of their father. Life is like a busy and dangerous street and you are that little kid on the corner. Take your father's hand before you launch out into traffic. Depend on him. Lean on him. Trust him. Friends, it's an act of profound faith to trust God in those hard times. I quote a lady who knew suffering in her life, the beloved saint, Corey Tinboom. Speaking of times of trust in adversity, Corey Tinboom wrote, When a train goes through a tunnel and it gets dark, 
You don't throw away the ticket and jump off. You sit still and trust the engineer. (laughs) Finally, friends, we've been talking about how God uses His purpose for adversity, hardships, trouble, trials in your lives. And we conclude with how we respond to it because 90% of life is how you respond to the 10% of the circumstances that come your way. You can see two people living the same hard lives. One has joy. One has sorrow. One trusts the Lord. The other one is trying to do it on their own. What's our attitude toward diversity? In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, I love these short little verses. Right at the end of his letter to the church in Thessalonica, the Apostle Paul says, Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. (laughs) Now we can try to live up to that in happy times. But those circumstances that he's telling us to have joy in and find peace in, those are the difficult ones as well. And a lot of this comes from having an attitude based on God's Word that we've already been looking at this morning. These circumstances remind me of one of the most joyful people I've ever read about and seen in film and love to watch interviews of this woman. It goes back to Chesapeake Bay, swimming off a swim platform. An athletic 17-year-old girl dived headfirst into the water, striking the bottom, broke her spinal cord, floated to the surface, a quadriplegic. We know the story of Johnny. Johnny Erickson Tata, not only did she not give up on life, trusting God in the face of these adversities, but she became a foremost Christian author, speaker, (laughs) and with a brush between her teeth, an accomplished artist. God did so much despite that broken shell of a body in which she lived. Her attitude toward adversity is profound because it's based on God's Word. It's all from Scripture. When asked what the verses are, her life verse that she lives by, she says it's a good part of a chapter. Her life verses revealing her attitude toward hardship in her life are found again in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 to 10 and verses 16 to 18. As we turn there, what was she talking about? It says in verse 7, speaking of the glory of knowing Jesus as your Savior, Paul writes, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. 
For we who are alive are always given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. And down in verse 16, it continues, Therefore, despite all this hardship, therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. That's incredible. I can see her in this passage. A jar of clay, broken, a body paralyzed and useless. But through that, people see the power of God at work in her. Friends, it's in those broken areas of your life. As you allow God to live through you, the people will see the treasure of Jesus within. We do not mourn as those who have no hope. People see that. Circumstances don't determine our attitude. People see that. So friends, your attitude toward adversity is so important. Let's let God speak to us as we close our time in prayer. And then we'll have a closing song. As we pray, I'll invite the worship team to join me on the platform. Heavenly Father, Lord, we've been talking about difficult things today. Father, this is where we actually live our lives. Some days fly by, everything goes well. But then, Father, there are those seasons of life that are hard. There are losses. There are pain. There is sickness. There is rejection. There is loneliness. Lord, whatever hardships your children face today, Lord, let us remember that this may serve to discipline and correct your children and get us on the path of righteousness for Jesus' sake. And not only could this discipline us, Father, but it will deepen us as we turn to you and grow in your grace. And Father, may we come to daily depend on you in these hard times. Lord, thank you for allowing this to come into our lives For Father, as exercise, it strengthens us and grows us. Lord, give us that attitude, that humble attitude to receive everything from the hand of our Father who loves us. We pray all of this in his precious name. Amen.